I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. And it's great to have you along on the top of the week. Inside Sources today, uh, once again, hosted by Doug Wright. Uh, for the next se- several weeks, as a matter of fact, we will be here talking about the issues of the day. We have a lot in store for you. As I mentioned a little earlier with Mary, that we are going to talk about the political climate right here in the good old state of Utah and what's happening on the national level. How is it affecting Utah and how is it affecting our two major political parties in the state? Jeff Merchant will be joining us representing the Democrats. Then right after that, Derek Brown, who is the new GOP chair, he will also join us and a lot of things. You know, how are things falling into place? Everybody around the country is looking at the 4th Congressional District in the state of Utah, wondering what is going to happen and will Ben McAdams retain the seat or will it be taken back by Republicans? That and more will come up. Marsha Judkins, who is one of our representatives, along with Senator Wayne Harper over in the uh, the higher house of the Utah State Legislature, are talking finally daylight savings times time. But is this the definitive moment? Is this finally going to put a stake through the heart of this controversy that has not just been going on for years, but has been going on for Decades. So we'll talk with Marsha coming up, Representative Judkins. Uh, Scott Howell, I thought we'd check in with him and talk specifically about Joe Biden's visit over the weekend and how things went. And then, of course, Scott is a major player in the Pioneer Park Coalition and some of the issues that have been surrounding Pioneer Park. We'll get an update. And then, just very quickly, I wanted to mention we'll be talking with the manager of the Peregrine Fund and uh, a little condor apparently fled, pledged or fledged. No, he's not joining a sorority or a fraternity. I wonder if it's male or female. I'm not sure. But ple- <laughs> just that means that not only were they hatched, not only have they survived, but they actually left the net, nest. Just one of them. As a matter of fact, he kind of has a moniker 1K. He's number 1,000. I wonder if that's the real deal or if it just sounded good on paper there. I'm not sure, Robin. What do you think? I don't know. I did ask him. I said, uh, "Is it a he or a she?" And he did. He didn't answer the question. So we'll we'll get that we'll get that straightened out when we talk to him. Maybe nobody's been up that close and personal. <laughs> right. I'm not sure. How do you tell with a condor unless you really tell? Yeah, you know, know, sometimes plumage and so on, but not really sure. Okay, I understand. I must submit myself once again to the news quiz. We're going to keep it light today because my goodness, last week was oh, wasn't that amazing? Was uh, long and 
hard and arduous, and it's not over yet. I mean, impeachment is, we're only at the, the tip of the iceberg, but uh, I will, in fact, I'm just going to take my red pin out and cross off my <laughs> impeachment headline here. We don't need to talk about it unless you have any hot takes on anything over the weekend. No, just how crazy and immature everything is going, not just with the president, but all over the place. Some of the tweets and some of the accusations and some of the things that, uh, at least in tweeting, is being advocated. I mean, it's to the point now where this poor whistleblower, you know, I'm he's... He's like the whack-a-mole. Yeah. Anytime he sticks his head out of his door, I'm sure he thinks you know somebody's going to beat him over the head. Yeah, it's political ping pong. It's been crazy. I, I took a break this weekend. I didn't. I didn't open up any news. Well, you know, other than what I could avoid. But all right. So here's our top headline that's not impeachment related. Um, okay. I just heard on the news this morning that California has voted to allow college athletes to sign endorsement deals so they can mm. now get paid. Uh, while they're playing for for collegiate teams. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Well, as Utah's Mr. Sports, you know, the definitive word on sports at KSL for years and years and years, as long as I have a phone in my hand and I can call Alex or I can call some, uh, I think that's a real bad idea. Uh, You know, the more we, we make professional sports reflect what's happening in our collegiate sports, I think that can really be an issue. I, I have real concerns about that. I understand and there's the big debate, you know, should they even be paid? Because they are contributing so much in the sports program. They are contributing so much to the university and its image. But at the same time, oh, my goodness. I think that's why people love collegiate sports so much right. is because it, it is a little more pure, mm-hmm. as it were. So as soon as we have them endorse, unless, of course, they want to endorse, you know, the Doug Wright uh, – Sunday edition show on Channel 5. We, we, we can go with that. Oh, man. And as I said on last Friday, I am not Mrs. Sports. I am whatever the opposite of that is. I'm trying to still figure out what shape of balls go with different sports right yeah, now. Yeah, right. So. Me too. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a really sweet story I read, uh, and I'll just read the little blurb. A Florida funeral home is inviting the public to attend the funeral of an 80-year-old Army veteran who had no immediate family. So they're oh, wow. calling they're calling for, for visitors to come. Uh, and and visit this man who has passed away. Uh, this isn't a news quiz uh, question, more just a reaction to to that yeah. story. Well, first of all, I think it's touching that somebody would even suggest or think of that, and it would be interesting to see what kind of uh, turnout. You know, some of these veterans now, when we did the honor flight that I went on, it's been like five years ago now. Five, yeah, I think it was five years ago this past month. And at that time, the youngest person on that flight was 86. Yeah. And... So for and and I'm assuming, of course, World War uh, Two, but might be Korean, whatever it is. Regardless, sometimes these uh, men and women who uh, fought for our country, uh, they outlive all of their peers. They outlive, which is wonderful. I'm all for a big, long life, but doesn't leave a lot of people to go to the funeral. I think that's a really cool yeah, idea. Yeah, I want to follow up with this and see this was yeah. posted today and see see what the turnout is. Yeah, that's uh, in a, that's a real interesting idea. All right, two two left. Uh, this one we were just chatting about. Temperatures have have plummeted in the Rockies as Montana digs itself out from snow. It's right. September thirtieth. Right. I know it, it. It's really weird, isn't it? Because you know, on one hand, we all feel this change in in whether you call it global warming or whatever it is, and it's true that it is different. When I think of uh, this late in September, when I was a kid. Most things had already been killed off by frost. Anybody that still had petunias in their yard or geraniums, it was a rare thing. And now you can just pretty much count on a pretty lush garden up until the first weeks of October and even deeper. And I saw some of those pictures of the snowstorms up there. And I don't know, it's it's just totally weird. This morning, uh, my wife had a little cataract surgery. 
So we were at the hospital bright and early at 6.15, and it was just flat cold when we uh, transported ourselves. But And then it's weird, too, because you'll hear that this is unseasonable, the cold that we're having right now. Everything seems to be unseasonable, and we seem to be in these extremes. And for the people that believe in, uh, well, and and I do too, but it's 97% of the climate uh, scientists out there say, no, it is global warming right now. The climate is changing, and it is man-caused and I think many of us who have been around for a while, we're really seeing it. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard. I mean, my kids woke up this morning. I said, you got to put on your coats. you got to put on your pants. No shorts. But last week yeah. was in the 70s. And Well, it used to be Indian summer. You know, yeah. you'd just go, oh, okay, this is, you know, but now you, you never know what the temperature well, is going to be. it was 98 two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we have one left. We have about a minute and a half. Uh, this one really caught my eye. The Brady Bunch stars celebrate the show's 50th <laughs> anniversary. Uh, debate debuted in 1969, uh, ended in 1974. Were you a Brady Bunch fan? Uh, it was so uncool when we, because in 1969, I was at KRSP playing the hits. And if I had mentioned on the air that I was a Brady Bunch fan at the time, I would have been drummed out of the. Really? I mean, that was the summer of love. That was Woodstock. That was all the, you know, the cool music, everything else. Yeah. Uh, so in, in my uh, circle of friends and peers, uh, admitting that you were a Brady Bunch fan was not cool at all. I never was really much into no. the Brady. I was say it's fifty years later. If you need to admit it on yeah. air now, that well, you, you know there there's some <laughs> things that you're still a little sensitive about. But Marsha was pretty. Oh right. Pretty good looking. Yeah, I uh, watched uh, Nick at Night as a gr- growing up. Definitely, I wasn't born uh, anywhere near 1969, <laughs> but uh, I watched it on Nickelodeon years later. Uh-huh. And I was a fan. I don't. I don't know the cultural stigma. You know, in the 80s and 90s when I watched the reruns, but I loved the show. And you was, saw the movie, of course, didn't you? The I Brady Bunch have. movie. Was it? Did it come out after? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, much after. Yeah, yeah, that was a little interesting. 117 episodes total. Doesn't seem like that many for how much a cultural impact that show had. I know. You know Sometimes it's amazing too to look back how many years those shows would actually run and some of them that are still talked about today they're they're just out three yeah, four this years was five years 1969 yeah. and 1974 Brady Bunch episodes Brady Bunch all right you, that we're done now News I can sing the over. tune if you want oh yeah no 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 <laughs> I will leave your mic on for that no 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 cut that microphone all right there you go did I pass can we continue you on passed. we may move on okay coming up next we're going to talk with the democratic leadership here in the state of Utah the uh, chair of the democratic party will join us Jeff Merchant uh, we'll see what the skinny is and how things are falling together for election 2020 and what the national toxicity is doing to our local politics that's coming up Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside sources. Inside sources on KSL News Radio. Little did I know when uh, I said, "Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and host the show for the next couple of weeks." When I was asked to do so, I had no idea that uh, what was already a very very toxic environment would just become so much more so. And the idea that now we're talking impeachment inquiry, the absolute ridiculousness of not necessarily the looking into impeachment, but the way it's handled, the 
the way everybody postures, the way everybody is just there to make a statement and somehow count coup on uh, their enemies rather than really looking for the truth is startling. The tweets we see out of the White House are just, they're, they're so disheartening to me. I just can't believe that that we have reached such a, a, a juvenile and and even reckless way of of having communications come out of the most powerful office in the world, out of the White House, from the the mind and the the fingers and the cell phone of the President of the United States and the leader of the free world. It. It's still, I, I just shake my head. I, I cannot believe the environment that we are in today. And as I watched a lot of this stuff unfold last week, as I watched more unfold over the weekend, I couldn't help but uh, wonder what effect this is all having on our local politics in the state of Utah. There are many other things that I wanted to talk about with the uh, leadership of our uh, two major parties in the state. And I'm very pleased to have the Democratic chair, Jeff Merchant, joining us on the line. Jeff, welcome. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Sources. Hey, absolutely, Doug. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Maybe I could just get your take, kind of an overview. I want to get into some specifics with uh, some of our local races and how things are shaping up. But how is uh, the the environment that seems to be just boiling over in Washington and not only affecting our country, but our allies and others around the world. What effect do you think this is going to have on our local politics this this year and this 2020 season? Well, you know, I think that the, the uh, first, let me say I agree with, with pretty much everything that you said uh, just a minute ago, but the reality is, is I think that it could have uh, a continuing effect of just making the environment more and more toxic. I mean, you and I have talked before, Doug, about how uh, most Americans are actually not that far apart on most issues, but on these two or three issues that that we can't see eye to eye on, uh, we use those issues as as a wedge to divide us as a country. And what we really need to be doing is finding ways to come together uh, instead of pushing ourselves further and further apart. It does seem like almost everything, especially from Washington, D.C., and I'm not putting this all at the doorstep of any one individual or one branch of government, but it seems that everything is a wedge issue. And it's almost like I remember interviewing uh, several prominent individuals on both sides of the political aisle, but I'll, I'll refer to the one that I remember on Sunday edition from Mitt Romney. And he said, you know, Doug, I really wonder if the the folks back in Washington who are leading this country right now really want to solve some of these issues because it is how they draw the, the lines. It is how they raise money. It is the wedge that underscores the separation. And they use it to fundraise and they use it to get themselves reelected. And I'm, I'm beginning to think that's the case. Do you know how many years, for example, I've been sitting behind a microphone here at KSL and on KSL television and talking about the immigration issue. And we aren't that far apart. There have been times that we have been so close to actually coming up with an agreement where you have people like John McCain, Ted Kennedy. This was uh, during the administration of George W. Bush, and they were so close. But the extremes on both sides who had a wedge issue in this thing – torpedoed it. And that's just one of the many times it's been torpedoed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, I was listening to an interview with someone. It was actually a a German member of of Parliament, and she used this phrase that I think is uh, really pretty useful, particularly as we think about things like social media and you know the talking heads on on cable news and all of that. But she used this term, tyranny of the loud, mm. and I think that. That is really what we are suffering from, is we have this small minority of people who don't necessarily want to solve problems because it's not in their best interest. And I think that, you know, particularly as we look at local politics, a lot of the people that are coming to me and saying, you know, Jeff, something needs to change. I want to run. I want to be a part of, of something better and who are interested and excited to run for office in 2020. These are people that are problem solvers and leaders in their in their local communities, and they just want to see the environment change. Uh, they want to see the toxicity reduced. They want to see people getting things accomplished. They want to see um, they want to see us working together to improve our community. Which uh, you know, frankly, I mean, I, I know that we always say, well, back in the olden days, it was so much better, but in in many ways. I don't. I don't recall a time in my life when politics really was was this bad, yeah. where there was nobody that could trust each other. And you know, when we think about the the days when a you know an Orrin Hatch and an, an Ed Kennedy could or a Ted Kennedy could come together and and be friends. And I don't know if in Washington D.C. right now. You can be friends with someone on the other side of the aisle. Well, I don't you, know if you can. You really do wonder that. I, I remember Jake Garn telling me how fond he was of Joe Biden. And uh, Biden would come out and ski in the Senator's Cup and help uh, raise money for Primary Children's Hospital. And uh, occasionally, you know, Jake would just hand the phone to Joe Biden while they were up at one of the resorts. And, and we'd chat for a moment. They had much in common. Both of them lost uh, loved ones when they were relatively young in in office, there were things that brought people together and ultimately they could work together. And of course, you know, politics has always been rough and tumble, a bit of a blood sport as it were. But, you know, you'd kind of maybe beat somebody up on the floor of the Senate or the House one day and then on the way kind of give them a wink and say, but we'll work this out. And And they did. They did. And now... We're just seeing such uh, stalemates that it, it is discouraging. And I agree with you. I, I've, I've seen it rough and tumble. I've seen it tough. I've seen the level of rhetoric go up and down. But I've never seen it to the point where at least on the big key issues, it's like nobody can ever get things together. When you look, you mentioned you've, you're having people approach you and they're interested in changing the landscape and changing the environment. How are things looking as you're looking at, uh, at in this case, a gubernatorial race. We've got the all four of, of course, our congressional races. The Senate seats are locked down for the next two years. So how are things looking? Are are are, are people at all hesitant to get into the game for fear it's going to taint them and their families? Well, I mean, I think that there's always that aspect of things. You know, I mean, you say rough and tumble, and of course we live in an age and in an environment that uh, is very, very difficult for people to be willing to put their name and their face out because you don't know what's going to happen, uh, particularly on social media where there's so little way of, uh, you know, really regulating what people say, uh, how they say it, whether what they're saying is true or not. But 
despite that, I find uh, I find it very refreshing that we have a lot of people that are more than ever interested in becoming a part of the process because they recognize that if they don't become a part of the of the solution, then they're really nothing more than part of the problem. And so a lot of people really have been kind of, some of them are coming out of the woodwork. Some of them are, are known quantities. And of course, you know, I leave to them to announce their, uh, announce their intentions on their own. So sorry, you're not going to get any scoops from me today. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, I do think, I do think that there are a lot of people that just feel like, you know, if they're not doing something, and they can be, um, that that uh, they're they're really a part of the problem. And look, here's the reality, Doug. I mean, I don't know in your life, but I've never I have I've never been more concerned about our democracy as a whole as I am right now. And and that's not necessarily. I mean, I I place more of that blame personally on Donald Trump than than I, I do on Democrats. But but the reality is is it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is that there has to be a cultural shift with our members of Congress and as a country to get back on the right track and to remember that uh, there are certainly more more important things to do than hate a Republican because they're a Republican or hate a Democrat because he or she is a Democrat. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I that couldn't is agree not, that's not the American way. Yeah. Uh, one, one quick question. We have less than a minute uh, on this, but a lot of people are paying attention to the 4th Congressional District. Ben McAdams, of course, the only Democratic uh, voice that we have right now in our federal delegation. And again, in just a very brief moment, how are things shaping up in that campaign, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that I think that they're shaping up really well. Of course, I think they're going to be a lot of Republicans who want that spot and who who see Ben as um, as not a particularly strong candidate given how things turned out against Mia Love. But I think that from the Democratic perspective, uh, he is doing exactly what he said he would do. He's building bridges with uh, Republican members of Congress. He's doing exactly what it is that you and I have been talking about this whole time, which is looking past partisanship and looking towards building a better future, not just yeah. for Utahns, but for Americans as a whole. And and I think that that's something the Utahns see very clearly. They saw it with Jim Matheson. They saw it with other good Democratic candidates, and they're seeing it with Ben McAdams now. Jeff, I look forward to more conversations. We'll look forward to having you on TV soon on Sunday edition. Absolutely. Thank you for hey, being I part really of the appreciate show. It, Doug. Have a great day. Thank you, Jeff Merchant, with us, who is the chair of the Democratic Party here in the state of Utah. Coming up next, we'll talk with the new chair of the Republican Party, Derek Brown. We'll get his take on the national level, but especially on how things are folding, uh, unfolding here in the state of Utah. Thanks. More is coming up here on on Inside Sources. I almost said Inside Edition again. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the back and forth that we see at the national level in politics right now is almost beyond description. The inquiry is moving forward on impeachment, the tweets that have come out of the White House, the uh, whistleblower saying that he's actually getting a little concerned about his health and well-being. It, it is just off the charts. It truly is. And I thought it would be interesting in light of all of this that is unfolding 
to actually talk with our local leadership of our two major parties here in the state of Utah. I'm Doug Wright. We talked with Jeff Merchant in our previous segment. We're going to talk with Derek Brown now, who is the new chair of the Republican Party. And Derek, welcome. Thank you for accepting our invitation today. Happy to do it, Doug. Thanks for having me on. I thought it'd be really interesting just in light of uh, the term that I've used and others have used just how toxic it is right now back in Washington, D.C. Is this going to have a trickle-down effect? Can we avoid a trickle-down effect on our politics here in the state of Utah for the election coming up 2020? You know, that's one of my goals is, I mean, people have asked me sort of, you know, is there something that I can do or, you know, as the local Republicans, is there something we can do about the tone in Washington uh, the tone of the White House, that sort of thing. And I've just said, look, what we can do as a party here in Utah, and what I can do as the chair is control the, the tone and the vision and how we talk about issues. Because, I mean, you know this as well as anyone, Doug, sometimes what you're saying isn't as important as how you're saying it and how you're interre- interrelating with others. And, you know, I, I've gotten to know Jeff, uh, who's the, the chair of the Democrat Party. He's a fantastic guy. And uh, you know, I think the reality is um, our tone here in Utah is different because Utah's just different in the way that we approach things. You know, I really hope that it, it can stay different because I agree with you. We've had some nasty races. The 4th Congressional District race uh, just uh, two years ago was uh, was pretty raucous. Actually, not even two years ago. That's going to fire up here again before too long. But, yes, it will. But yeah. but yeah, we want to talk about that. But usually, usually, we are a little above at least the rest of the the fray. I, I was thinking as I was anticipating the conversation with you, Derek, that there are two races in particular. Now, our local races are always so important. You know, the closer the government is to you, the the more impact it has on your daily life. But there are two races in particular that I think people are really going to be watching. And right now, we're watching the gubernatorial race. Several people now, including the lieutenant governor, have declared there are others that we are waiting to hear from, whether that's uh, first congressional district uh, congressman uh, Rob Bishop or whether it's our former governor uh, and uh, ambassador John Huntsman Jr. What are you anticipating for the gubernatorial race from the GOP side, are, are you sitting back like the rest of us, just kind of waiting to see which pieces fall into place? Well, to, to some degree, that's, that is my role at the moment, is to kind of see where things shake out. I mean, as the, as the chair of the party, you know, I'm neutral in terms of those races, but, but obviously have a keen interest in where things are. And also with the, the 4th Congressional District as well, I mean, you like I, you know, you probably get a lot of emails about politics, and for anyone who's um, on a on some sort of candidate list, you probably got a ton of emails this morning, and that's because today is the last day of the third quarter. And uh, from a fundraising standpoint and an FEC standpoint, what that means is tomorrow morning we'll have a much better idea of who the real sort of viable candidates are in terms of fundraising. So uh, tomorrow morning we'll sort of know, like in the fourth congressional district, for instance, we'll know kind of where candidates are and. If candidate report if a candidate reports you know ten thousand dollars of donations as opposed to a six figure amount, I think that'll that'll tell us quite a bit about kind of who the 
the real viable candidates are going to be as we go into this next cycle. You know, often, especially recently, more on the Democratic side of the aisle, but sometimes the role of the party chair and the Central Committee would be to go out and recruit. And our, our, with, with all everything save only the 4th Congressional District, and I'm speaking of statewide elections right now, at least the more prominent ones, the 4th District and the gubernatorial race kind of locked down with candidates already in place, although the 1st Congressional District will be uh, an open seat. Are, is there a lot of recruiting that, that goes on nowadays, at least at this level, for the Republican Party? Well, at that level, we don't we haven't really spent a lot of time. I mean, we're seeing a lot of really qualified candidates that are sort of throwing their hat in the ring. And you, like I, have heard rumblings of others. And so we'll kind of see that shake out. But as a party, that's one of the things you traditionally do. And as we come into this next election cycle, um, a lot of the more active recruiting will take place for, you know, House and Senate seats at the state level. I mean, as a Republican Party, we are committed to ensuring that women have a strong role and a strong voice in the party. And so you better believe that we are going to spend time recruiting women uh, to run for different seats in the House and Senate and in other positions. And so that, I mean, that is one of the things that the party does. But at these state level races right now, uh, sort of the high profile ones, I think we're seeing a lot of really qualified candidates. And you, like I, am just kind of waiting to see where things shake out. And then when the party makes its decision, then it'll be my job as a chair to take that, the infrastructure and the organization we have as a party, and to move things forward and make sure that whoever it is that's selected gets across the finish line. Derek, just a, a final question here. The, the Trump effect is, is kind of a wild card. During the 2016 election, it was kind of a wild card. Nobody knew exactly how it would resonate, if it would resonate. It was interesting to see the dynamics in the state of Utah, even when a third-party candidate emerged. One of the greatest fears that people who work in politics uh, have sometimes isn't so much even the competition. It's whether or not the diehards within their own ranks will just choose to stay home. What do you see as the Trump effect for the upcoming 2020 election in Utah? My sense is you'll have a lot more participation than even this last go-around. I mean, in Utah, if you look at the number of individuals who came out really hard in favor of President Trump and then voted for him and then simply didn't vote in the most recent election, believe it or not, it's about 90,000 here in Utah. And so my sense is you're going to see a huge number of, of those individuals come back and vote. And so I think you're going to see a lot greater turnout than we've generally seen in the past. Derek, I really appreciate you joining us today. And as I mentioned with Jeff a little earlier, the uh, Democratic chair, I hope that we can have some really good conversations over the next uh, election season. Uh, Not only, of course, you know, here on radio with whomever, but uh, on our TV show as well on Sunday morning. Uh, You've been great to join us, and I appreciate you being part of this program today. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Derek Brown, the chair of the GOP. And just before that, in our previous segment, we had Jeff Merchant, who is the new chair of the Democratic Party as well. 
All right. Now, brace yourself, because uh, I want to set the stage for a conversation we're going to have at the tail end of this hour with Representative Marsha Judkins regarding daylight saving time. But I want to set the stage for that, and I want to invite your participation on our Utah Community Credit Union text line, uh, 57500. Would you like to see, one way or the other, the stake finally driven through the heart of daylight saving time in this regard. One, that we choose to just go year-round with whatever it might be. The only caveat is, in order for us to stay year-round on daylight saving time, Congress has to approve of that. We can choose to go standard time anytime we want. But one way or the other, do you want to see us just stop falling back and springing forward? We want to find out from you, and you can start leaving your opinions on that at 57500. That's our Utah Community Credit Line text message board. Stay with us. More to come on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. I mentioned this a little earlier when we were talking with uh, Mary prior to the show beginning. And she said, what's coming up on the program? And I said, oh, we're going to wade into... Whether or not we ought to have daylight savings time or saving time, there's theoretically not an S on the end of that. But are we going to have daylight saving time or are we going to have mountain time? Are we going to have the hybrid that we now have where part of the year we're in one, part of the year we're in the other, falling back, springing forward, that type of thing? Or are we going to do as some other states have done and go standard? And we can do that. We could make that decision right here, right now. Well, the legislature could, with a little encouragement from us, we could just go mountain time. That's it. And it's a done deal. However, you need kind of a special dispensation from the minds immeasurably superior to ours back in Washington, D.C. And uh, if we're going to go all daylight saving time throughout the year. So I, I thought it would be interesting to get your thoughts and your opinions on this. And I mentioned, too, when I was talking with Mary, I can remember this years ago, because this has been ongoing, not just years, but decades. We've been wrangling over this. Should we be falling back? Should we be springing forward? And we moved the times. Remember, it used to be a certain time. Then we moved it a little bit later and a little bit earlier and everything else. And we had a general manager here at KSL years ago that was so fed up with the issue being discussed each and every time we changed our clock, each and every time the legislature met in session here in the state of Utah, once a year beginning in January, going for 90 days, that he just, I mean, I can remember the day he just kind of lost it. He said, if I hear this being discussed on KSL, I'm just going to have to fire somebody. And, of course, he was kidding. Richard was a great guy. But there was that kind of frustration level. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's something about daylight saving time that has kind of changed uh, our society. And... One thing that it, and you know me, I'm a movie buff. I We still do the movie show each and every Friday, 9 to noon here at KSL. And there are many things that killed the drive-in movie. Uh, <laughs> not just one, but in the early days when drive-in movie theaters started closing like crazy, there were two main reasons. One was the property values. 
it was, you know, to have the 20, 22 acres, I think a small drive-in theater might have been able to get by on 17 or 18 acres. But it takes a, a big chunk of of ground. Uh, at least, uh, I mean, a city block here in the state of Utah is is 10 acres. Most drive-in theaters were considerably bigger than that. And so the property values, that was one thing. But the other thing that really put a knife right in the heart of drive-in movies was daylight saving time. I mean, think about it. You know, prime drive-in movie season, the middle of the summer, it doesn't get dark, at least dark enough to to project a movie up on a screen outside until it's almost 10 o'clock. And by the time you have, uh, you know, back in the day, of course, a cartoon. Now, I guess let's let's go away with that. And let's just start the feature right then. You're not going to be out of the theater until well after midnight. And so, you know, and sometimes when you'd go to the drive-in theater, you didn't give a hoot about the movie anyway, and you wanted it to eventually get dark. And the later, the later, the better. So anyway, uh, I'm there. There are all kinds of things that uh, you know, need to be taken into consideration with daylight saving. Most people just love it because they can now golf a little later. They can work in the yard a little bit later, whatever it might be. So I want to hear from you. I'm going to share just a couple of the messages that have been coming in over the last couple of minutes, but I'm going to reserve most of them for when we have our special guest, Representative Marsha Judkins, on the line. And might this actually be the year? When at least we make a decision in the state of Utah that we are going to stop falling back, we're going to stop springing forward, and we're going to go one way or the other. Most people are leaning toward having day, daylight saving time around the year. If that's the direction that the state of Utah takes, we basically have to petition Congress and other states are standing in line for that right now. So that's coming up here in uh, less than a half hour. And by the way, that's being sponsored over in the Senate by uh, Senator Wayne Harper. But in the House, it's Marsha Judkins, and uh, she's in a first term out of uh, Utah County in the House of Representatives. So we'll be chatting with her coming up. Just to give you a little sampling of some of the things that are coming up so far, uh, this person said, I would like to return to standard time. Another one of our texters said, yes, let's stay on one. It doesn't matter which one. Let's just do it. This person said, stay on daylight savings time. What requirements does Congress have for approval? Uh, Just that the state petition them. I don't know what they actually look at, and why wouldn't we have the right to make the decision ourselves? However, when it comes to interstate commerce, when it comes to booking schedules, I was reading one of the articles on this, and someone who is in the legislature who has a foot also in the trucking world said that uh, if we're different than all the other states around us, then that creates a real scheduling headache. But, you know, in this day and age, I think we can kind of get around that. I mean, Hawaii and Arizona have been outliers for some time, just staying on the, uh, I think they stay on standard time, don't they, if I remember correctly? Uh, This person said, yes, please go to standard time year-round. That would be a blessing, especially with little kids trying to get to bed on time. That's something, too, that I wanted to mention very quickly as we consider this. More and more of the medical professionals and those who study the effects of kind of moving back and forth and with as important as we have discovered that sleep is for 
everyone. Uh, my, my doctor, you know, back in the day, they'd say, hey, you sleeping okay? Yeah, that's fine. Now they say, are you sleeping okay? And how much are you sleeping? Because it makes a huge difference. When we fall back and when we spring forward, a lot of people are out of sync for a while. It's almost like a little bit of uh, jet lag. And it apparently, according to the professionals, has quite an effect on the population twice a year. So uh, you can continue to leave us your thoughts, and we'll share more of them, especially when we're talking with Representative Judkins coming up on the uh, program today. And you can also leave us a voice message. Maybe you feel very exercised about this and you want to talk. Okay, 801-575-7668. And we'll share your message, or at least most of them, uh, here at KSL News Radio. 801 801- Let's take a brief break. We'll come back with more on Inside Sources, and we're going to talk about something that is going on down in our national parks right now. Tim Houck will be joining us. He's with the Condor Program, manager at the Peregrine Fund. So stay with us. Doug Wright with you this afternoon. Inside sources. Inside sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. You know, it's so interesting when you look at all of the really heavy duty things we've talked about over the last week or so. Uh, and the what we're getting the most response of anything on is this debate on whether or not Utah should stay with the program we have now on daylight saving time and then switching back to mountain time, standard time or whether we should go full-time one or the other, all daylight saving time or all mountain standard time. We're getting a ton of response on that right now, and uh, that's on our Utah Community Credit Union text line at 57500. But you can also call in and leave a voicemail for us, and we'll share that on the air, 801-575-7668. Every now and then it's fun to uh, look at a story and go, you know what, let's let's just talk about something that's kind of cool. And the California condor, a little chick that is estimated to have hatched in May in Zion National Park, apparently has done something for the very first time, at least that we have recorded in Zion National Park. And uh, Tim Houck is on the line with us, Condor Program Manager at the Peregrine Fund. And Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, what is this little guy or gal? Do we know for sure? Can you tell from plumage, or do you have to really get up close and personal on the sex of a condor? Well, we won't know for quite a while. So condors, uh, you cannot tell the difference between males and females. Uh, unless you have a blood test or you see some sort of breeding activity, which won't happen until the bird's about five. So it's going to be a mystery until we can eventually, maybe a year from now or so, trap this uh, young condor and take a blood test. Now, we, we estimate that the age of the, the chick, although that status has changed, I understand, is about four and a half months. What is this little creature doing that has set all kinds of uh, tongues wagging in Zion National Park? Well, it's spent it's spent the last almost five months now inside its cave where it was uh, laid as an egg and eventually hatched. And just last week, it was observed to have flown out of the cave for the first time and is now perched on a wall below the cave. And the parents are 
uh, readily tending to the bird and feeding the bird, and it's doing really well. So we're really excited here at the Peregrine Fund and at the park. I know the Zion National Park is super excited about this and all the hard work they've put in to taking observation on these this pair and this chick throughout the last five months has been um, pretty incredible stuff. You know, this is a pretty big park. How does someone become aware of something like this? Uh, who who spotted this chick? Well, uh, the Park Service actually spotted this chick, but the reason they're able to track the birds so easily is because we put radio transmitters on each one of these condors. So condors are still... Um, very endangered and and studied quite closely. So each bird gets its own radio transmitter, and we were able to track the birds to this location. And there's been a lot of observation of these birds. If you've ever hiked Angel's Landing, this pair is seen quite frequently. This is kind of their their home base. Now, here's a really dumb question. It'll show you how little I know about this. But how long will condors live? And you mentioned that they are somewhat familiar to the regulars (laughs) around Angel's Landing. So how long do they live? Well, we're not 100% sure, but we believe estimates are that they can live somewhere in the 50 to 70-year range. So they're a very long-lived species. Wow. Now, you know, you hear the term vulture, you hear the term condor. Again, I'm showing my ignorance here. Pardon me, but is there a difference? Uh, no, condors are vultures, so they're our largest vulture with a nine-and-a-half-foot wingspan coming in at about 20 pounds. So they're only feeding on dead animals, so they're out there cleaning up the landscape of any rotting animals um, that may be out there. And a lot of those animals come from that area just north of Zion National Park, uh, Cedar Mountain. There's some really great habitat up there where these parents have been actually observed feeding on sheep carcasses from the ranching that goes on up there as well as other ungulates, deer and elk, and bringing food back to the nest in Zion National Park. Interesting. You know, when I read this story, they didn't give a lot of details about uh, how the, the, the chick, do we call him a fledge now or her? What, what, what's the proper term at this stage yeah, of its yeah, life? Tec- <laughs> the technical term is actually a nestling. So when it's in the nest, it's a nestling. And then now that it's fledged, it is, it is considered a fledge. Yeah, so it's a fully grown condor at this point. So the condor will not, this this bird did not fledge until it was fully developed. And so it is a full-size bird at this point. So, but still not, at least with the gifts and skills of a uh, an adult condor of going out and foraging its own food. So its parents are, are flying back with great big old chunks of good old delectable rotting carrion? <laughs> That's correct, yeah. And these parents are... Uh, condor parents are very dedicated, and they're going to skip this whole next breeding season, which starts in uh, about January and February, and they'll take care of this chick for the next year uh, before eventually weaning it off and kicking it out to go be a condor on its own. But they're going to show it the rubs for quite a while, and, and they, do, they do a really nice job of, of taking care of these birds to ensure their survival. Now, since we have not had, because this... Uh this uh, chick, or now Fledge, has an interesting name, or at least its moniker is 1K. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a special bird in the sense that it is the 1,000th condor that has been produced uh, either in the wild or in captivity since the recovery program began in the 1980s. So it's it's one heck of a milestone and something that I know everybody, whether they be in California or the zoos in Oregon or uh, up in Boise, Idaho at our uh, breeding facilities or here in Arizona and Utah, 
we're all very proud of that that 1,000th chick. Okay, so we have 1K, and the first one to have known uh, to, to be known as a fledge in Zion National Park. So uh, I guess what I'm going to ask next is, where does this guy or gal find a mate so this great <laughs> legacy can continue? Looks like the pickings are going to be a little slim in Zion. Well, that's actually not true. So like I said, this bird is going to grow up probably in the park and outside the park and um, the surrounding areas, and it won't reach breeding age till it's about five years of age. So um, most of the condor population is actually in Utah in the summertime. I don't think a lot of people realize that, but Cedar Mountain, just north of the park, we contact, our field biologists contact between 85 and 90 percent of the population, and that's, that's almost 80 birds flying around that landscape and foraging for food. This, so you guys have a lot more condors up there than you think. This this is amazing because I knew virtually nothing about condors or or vultures, and my my education has been greatly enhanced. It, for people that are visiting the park and they enjoy seeing the the wildlife, and in this case, the 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 ability to I'm I'm assuming see these. Uh, these birds fly and take care of, of their young. Are there anything, uh, are there some things that perhaps park visitors should be aware of? I mean, they're up in the air, they're on ledges, they're in caves and so on. So it's not like some cute little beast that might be at your uh, at your feet at any given time. But is there any protocol on the condors? Um, well, I think that the one thing that park visitors should be definitely aware of is that these are wild birds. And condors are not particularly scared of humans. They've followed humans for thousands of years now in search of food. Humans have often produced food through, whether that be uh, usually through hunting or other or other means. But they're not scared of people. So uh, don't get too close to these birds. They're wild. And they have beaks that can tear the flesh on a cowhide. They can tear through cowhide and get into that flesh. So let's not approach them. Uh, give them some space and the respect that they deserve because they are wild birds. Well, we appreciate your insights on this. One f- quick final question, then I've, I've got to run, and I've got to let you get back to what you do. But what kind of range do these birds have? You mentioned that the uh, the, the the Mr. and Mrs. here that are taking care of the fledge, they, uh, they've been there for some time. What is their range? How far will they go to hunt? Well, they can go quite far. So we've seen, we've observed condors flying upwards of 120 miles in a day just to forage for food and bring it back to their chicks. And so they can fly large distances on those nine-and-a-half-foot wings. And the majority of the population is located between the South Rim of Grand Canyon and just north of Zion National Park. Um, so they're flying throughout that range and scouring the landscape and finding that dead food and cleaning up the environment, feeding the chicks. <laughs> See, they're environmentally sound. I love this. Tim, you have enhanced my vulture knowledge considerably today. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Happy to do so. Thanks for having me. The Condor Program Manager at the Peregrine Fund, and uh, interesting. And it, it's always cool when something is happening in one of our great parks that is uh, out of the norm. And this one is out of the norm, the first time that a condor has actually fledged in Zion National Park. All right, when we come back, oh yes, the topic of daylight saving or mountain time standard becoming year-round, or do we stick with what we've got? Representative Marsha Judkins will join us coming up on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. 
Doug Wright filling in today on Inside Sources and will do for the next uh, couple of weeks. It's a real pleasure to be back with you. You know, I've, I've joked about this, and uh, I've, I've had some really nice comments, and I appreciate the nice things that uh, the people have been saying. And it, it's fun to do this for a brief period of time. I've joked about this. This is not going to be a coup. This is not uh, <laughs> a Jay Leno thing where I'm back. It's uh, just a chance for me to fill in for the next couple of weeks while a few things solidify. I'm not – there are things afoot. So, anyway – uh, the question we're asking on our KSL News Radio Facebook page is Do you want a change to something that is regular? We either stay on mountain time year round or we stay on daylight saving time year round, or do you like things the way they are? Right now, those who want to change, 77%. Those who like things the way they are, 24% on our poll. And we're getting a ton of uh, comments on our. <laughs> Utah Community Credit Union text line at 57500. But let's go to the Fountainhead over in the Senate. It's Senator Wayne Harper in the House. It's Representative Marsha Judkins uh, talking about and crafting legislation for this decision to be made in the state of Utah. And Representative Judkins, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. This has been going on for years and years. No, excuse me. Decades and decades. People have been grousing about this. There have been resolutions. There have been all kinds of things. Is something really perhaps going to happen in the 2020 legislative session? You know, I am very optimistic. I tend to be an optimistic person, but just looking at what's happening even outside of the United States, um, there's just been a real movement to... To stop changing the clocks. So, there's something. Hopeful. There's something about falling, you know, falling back in the fall and springing forward in the spring. And more and more, we're we're looking at medical professionals, those who deal with physical health, mental health, everything else. Right. The disposition of our teens when they're going to school, the disposition of we adults when we are going to work or about our daily chores, and they say that this switching back and forth is a little harder on us than had been imagined years ago when this became the norm. Right. And, you know, I I do have people who will say to me, hey, this doesn't bother me at all. You know, I fly here and fly there and I change time zones and switching the clock doesn't bother me. And to them, I say, great. You know, you have a very healthy body that can adjust to these things, but there are so many people who really have a hard time adjusting to the time change. And it really does have an effect on our physical health and our mental health. And so I think it's time to Time to change. For you and Senator, <laughs> yeah, for you and Senator Harper, who have looked into this, and you, I understand that uh, constituents have been polled. What are they basically telling you? They they just flat want to get rid of the the changing back and forth, or do they want to change to a permanent either standard or the daylight saving time? You know, I was trying to get that question on the ballot to try to do, um, you know, parse it down to see exactly almost a ranked choice voting as to what, the, you know, the citizens of Utah wanted. And that didn't make it out of the session last last session. But what I've heard, and I get a lot of emails still on this issue, is that most people just want to stop changing the clock. They do have a preference. And I hear preferences both ways. 
it tends to be more towards keeping daylight saving time. Yeah. But but no matter what, almost always they say, but just stop changing the clock. Right. You know, and it's interesting because back in, in the day when all of this started, uh, it, it was relatively easy. You know, you just mm-hmm. analog clock, you just turn the hands one way or another. Right. You change a few clocks in your home, maybe one in your car. Again, all old school type stuff. Now, when daylight saving time, when we're kicking back, back and forth, I have to change everything in the world. Now, in fairness, some things like my, you know, some of my more sophisticated electronic devices, mm-hmm. they, they change automatically. But it's right. still weird right. how, how many of them do not. Yeah. And, you know, there was that old joke about trying to change the time on your VCR or whatever. And we don't have those anymore. <laughs> right, right. But, um, but I think even more importantly is is how our body clocks don't change that well. Yeah. You know, it takes a couple of weeks for our body clocks to kick into gear when yeah. we change. Yeah, it's and interesting. So, we, we talk we talk analog, we talk digital, and we talk biological clock, and mm-hmm. that is a little different. What actually happens, several of our listeners have asked about this, uh, if we do decide to stay daylight saving time year-round, I understand that takes a special, you know, you talk about an act of Congress. It does take yes. an act of Congress. It does take an act of Congress. So right now we're allowed to go to standard time year-round, which is what Hawaii and Arizona have done. But we're not, states are not allowed to choose to go to daylight saving time year round. And that creates the problem because we have a lot of industries and people who would like to have more light later in the day. And so that's, that's why it's been hard to get a consensus and hard to get legislatures to pass any kind, anything, you know, because first of all, they want to go mostly to daylight saving time. And then second of all, you can't go to daylight saving time. You can't make that choice. So, what um, what we what we really do need is for Congress to get in gear. It's it's interesting because you know state legislators have the same constituents that our federal delegations have, and yet the the Congress treats it as if it's it's a minor issue or a non issue. You know they haven't looked at it as carefully, but but here in the states there are so many states that have. Um, legislation pending on this because people really want to see a change. So somehow there's been a disconnect between the constituents and the federal level. Boy, imagine such a thing. Yeah, imagine. (laughs) Yeah, imagine. (laughs) Imagine Washington kind of not getting it that maybe in one state or another we might actually have a pretty good idea on something. Would it, though, this is one thing that I hear from some people, that if that state stays here, that state goes back and forth, this state goes standard time, Mm -hmm. that state goes, you know, daylight saving time, would it create uh, one of our own legislators who has a a stake in the trucking business said that would be a Mm -hmm. nightmare? Yeah, Senator Ipsen, yeah. Um, And there, there is that concern I tend to think that we would all get used to whatever happened, but because of that concern, Senator Harper has in his bill that we would change only under two conditions, and the first one being that federal government allowed it, and the second one being that four other states in the mountain time zone also decided to change. Yeah. And so, you know, and there's, there is legislation, I think, in when I've taught, if I can remember right, in all of those states to try and get that to happen. 
I was I was going to ask that question. How many states around the country are kind of in this pipeline where their local legislators, the local folks, want one Mm -hmm. or the other? And and they're waiting now for the feds to make a decision. So there are actually at least one, two, three, four, five, six, I believe. I would say Washington, Oregon, Florida, Maine, Tennessee, um, and then California is in an interesting position because it passed through the voters, and then it passed through, I think they have two, I don't remember the names of their houses, but it passed through one of the houses, and then it's pending in the other house. Um, And so... It's, it's working its way through. Right. And you wonder yeah. how many other states right now, like Utah, are in the process. And maybe next year at that time, that number might go up considerably. How are your, uh, cons- uh, not constituents, but your, your fellow members of the legislate, uh, legislature, as you've counted some noses up there, does this have enough yeah, support? Have. Does, can it pass? Um, I believe it can pass because... Um, we just did kind of an informal polling um, in this last session as to what people would prefer, what if the legislature and the Senate would prefer. And it came back pretty overwhelmingly that they would like to go to daylight saving time year-round. I think it was around 70%, kind of like your uh, your Doug Wright poll, right? <laughs> Is that, um, and, and there were some who said, you know, Nope, don't change it. And there were some who who said very few who said standard time. But um, I I believe that I think that what's holding it up, not just in Utah but in other states too, is that federal mandate that we yeah. cannot change it. Yep. Daylight saving time year round. So if that were to change, I think we would just see see it changing. Um, even the European Union, um, it passed there that that their member states are going to get to. Choose. They're not going to be able to change their clocks anymore after 2021, and they get to choose whether they want standard or daylight saving time year-round. So Repre- Representative, I really appreciate you joining us. We're going to watch this closely here at uh, KSL. We'll have to talk about it more here on radio and also on the uh, Sunday morning TV show. Representative Marsha Judkins with us and over in the Senate. It's Senator Wayne Harper that are uh, working on this right now. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Scott Howell. We're going to focus particularly on uh, former Vice President Biden's visit to the state of Utah, what actually came down, that and more, all here on Inside Sources with me, Doug Wright. Thanks for joining us today. Inside sources. Inside sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Why things back in Washington, D.C. just get curiouser and curiouser, to use the words of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, uh, it, it is just amazing how bizarre things are right now. And in the midst of all of this, this past weekend, Uh, One of the leading candidates on the Democratic side of the aisle for the presidency of 2020, Joseph Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, was in town. And, you know, of course, last week when I heard rumblings that uh, Mr. Biden would be coming to town, I thought, gosh, I'm going to pull as many strings as I can to see if by any way, hook or crook, we could get him on the air. I was unfortunately unsuccessful, but the guy that always gets the ball closest to the goal on that, whenever I turn to him, is my friend Scott Howell. And Scott, thank you for your efforts in that arena. And maybe you could give us a little update on what that gathering was like up in the Park City area with the former vice president. 
Well, Doug, thank you for the invitation, and it's uh, great to have your voice back on Inside Sources, and I can truly give you uh, inside uh, a little bit about the event and um, how it all came down. About a month ago, we got a call um, from the vice president's staff, and they said, look, we think that we might be able to work into Utah. We don't have a lot of time. He's going to be in Vegas the night before but we think we can fly in, and then we're going to Denver, and then we're going to Delaware all in the same day. So we said, absolutely come in. And so we hosted a, a little event at um, the home of uh, Barry and Amy Baker, just wonderful, wonderful individuals, and and uh, uh, just were so gracious. And so we were able to pull it off, and the uh, vice president came right on time, unlike uh, – Clinton, who I never <laughs> yeah, found right. on a plane on time for anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I waited for him at the University of Utah one time for three and a half hours. Anyway, that's another story. But, um, yeah, it was great. And, man, did he look terrific. He looked terrific. And I, I have a little bit of feel of what he goes through just running for the U.S. Senate. You know, you, you travel on private aircraft, and everybody thinks that's so cool. Well, it's tiring, and it's hard, and just even – traversing across the state when we ran for the Senate. He's crossing, crisscrossing against the country, but he looks great. Uh, met with us in a private meeting, and we got a glimpse of if he's fortunate, fortunate, and I, I say that, um, he's got eight opponents now. Uh, if he's fortunate to get the nomination, he is on a different mission than our current president. And it was so refreshing and energizing and inspiring just to listen. Uh, and optimistic, very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he gave us some insight to what he'd like to see, uh, his priorities in the country. You know, Scott, before we talk about uh, what the former vice president had to say specifically, this is like one of those lines out of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This is, uh, which, by the way, is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. When it comes to the Bakers, who are these guys? I'm not kidding you, Scott. Oh, my gosh. I I hear, okay, we went to the Hugh Jackman concert over at the Vivint Arena. And Hugh Jackman is just raving about Barry and Amy and everything and how he's staying with them and everything. Every time there seems to be a major leaguer entertainment, major leaguer politician, especially on the Democratic side of the aisle, I hear about Barry and Amy Baker. Who are these guys? (laughs) Well, they live uh, three doors away from Michael Jordan. Up in this little, uh, uh, it's in Park City. So they're not Eureka, is what you're telling me, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're close. Yeah, they're close. Eureka from their balcony. Uh-huh. Really amazing. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, what gracious giving back to the community. They just are uh, completely giving back, and, and they actually come from the media world. They come from your world. And uh, what a, a tremendous family. Uh, Barry and, and Amy are very, very smart, but. Boy, are they centered around giving back to the community. And you know, we, we ended up with close to 300 people. And when Linda and I were driving up there, do you know where Glen Wild is by any chance? It's on the north side of I-80. or is It, I-60, I-80 it, it is so funny down. you'd mention that. Do you know who Glen Wild is? He's my neighbor in Eureka. No? Oh. <laughs> He, he truly is. He, he was a Juab County deputy sheriff, Glenn Wild, yeah. <laughs> I, 
it's his family that owned this property, and that's how it got named. But uh-huh. I'll tell you what, you go up there, and then you go in a valley, and it's like, wow. Uh, and it looks over that Sumner property, uh, property uh, Sumner Swanner, the Swanner property, sure. and it's just spectacular. But uh, and I didn't know that Michael Jordan had a place up there. My son had to inform me about that. Michael plays at that golf course all the time, but it. Um, I think it goes to show how, how much they allow, you know, 300 people to come in their house and and participate. And, Doug, i got to tell you, there were a lot of Republicans there. It was very interesting, um, the people who I saw at this event and what they had to say in the comments. So I, I understand uh, the, the, you for, know, I, the, the former vice president said that there's more at stake in this election than in any you have ever voted in. And I thought it was interesting, too, uh, that he said uh, that it's, he thought, and, you know, Joseph Biden has been around a long time. He thought that the country had, and this is a quote, seen the last of the kind of racism and white supremacy and hate that has reared its ugly head. And I thought it was interesting, too, that he was referring to, um, you know, uh, President Obama. He said, Barack and I decided we were going to give him, referring to Donald Trump, an opportunity to set up his administration and not begin to criticize him right off. But then the vi- former vice president went on to say that was over when he saw the march in Charlottesville. You know, it was really interesting because he talked about that. And they had promised they they and I think you saw this with George W. and and Clinton and and all these presidents. There's a decorum factor, and that's I think honoring the office of the presidency that you don't go out and criticize the next day. And he said it, it was finally got to the breaking point. At Charlottesville was when he decided that that enough was enough and. I really respect that. I respect that for all the presidents, Republican or Democrat. I just, uh, you know, that office is, this is probably a word that people will be offended, but I think it's a sacred office of of leadership, moral leadership. I really do. And so for me to hear him say that when enough was enough, it it was pretty compelling. And I think it was a driving factor in his decision to, to make that. Um, big commitment to run for president of the United States. You know, you, you brought up something interesting. He gets he gets some raps about his age. Um, he also gets uh, some about uh, if he's, uh, you know, he makes gaps. He's human. But that's what I like about him. I've known him for 30-plus years, and he makes mistakes, and he's not always scripted. And he was elected to the U.S. Senate, get this, at 29. And then the tragedy that hap- happened with his daughter and his wife and, and, and his son that were all involved in the accident, and then his son of brain cancer, he's the guy that I think people can relate to. And he's the guy, I'll never forget when President uh, Hinckley gave an interview with uh, on 60 Minutes, and they asked him, said, well, you're 88. How can you ever lead that? And he looked him right in the eye. It was morally safer. And he said, quote, isn't it nice to have some gray hair at the top of the leadership and some wisdom? And that's a way I kind of look at it with uh, Vice President Biden. He's got leadership skills. He's got the ability to to uh, have a historical perspective. And he's committed. He is committing uh, to, to bring America where it's great, as it always has been, but I think it get it back in this moral compass of integrity, 
uh, both foreign and nationally, and he's committed to doing that. I have to brag on Scott for just a moment. He is uh, joining us today at a rather late hour because he is in another part of the planet right now. You know, I travel quite frequently, as you know, to Eureka, exotic spots like Tooele, <laughs> and I've been known to even go as far as Grouse Creek. But uh, but Scott is is on the line with us from Italy right now. So, Scott, can you hang on for just a second more? When we come back, we'll sure. talk a little bit more. You mentioned how the the uh, number of candidates on the Democratic side of the aisle have dwindled a little bit. We'll look at how that might shake out, and then maybe we can even talk a little bit about something I know that is uh, near and dear to your heart, which is the Pioneer Park efforts in that arena. So we'll come back. We'll talk with Scott Howell more on Inside Sources here at KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. It's interesting the news that uh, you are hearing that uh, is breaking today and that Rudy Giuliani, this is the headline, House Democrats subpoena Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani in the impeachment probe. And, boy, you know, Giuliani's role in this has been rather unique, to say the least. And when he uh, went after our junior senator last week, Mitt Romney, uh, that was uh, an interesting turn of events as well. So this stuff uh, it it's creating such a toxic environment back in Washington D.C. trickles down even to our local uh, politics as well. So we'll continue to read the tea leaves and take the temperature periodically. And Scott Howell is joining us on the line right now. And I first met Scott Howell when he was the uh, Democratic leader in the Utah State Senate, helped facilitate when nobody else wanted a wascally guy like me up on Capitol Hill to you know, do broadcast during the legislative session. This guy allowed us to go into his office. We, we plugged into the fax machine, wasn't it, and r- ran <laughs> yeah, a never-ending cord out into the, to the hall, much to the chagrin of, of others. But that started a long-time relationship, and I've known wow. Scott uh, for a long, long time, and I uh, ran for the Senate, of course, you know, here in the state of Utah. The last time Senator Hatch ran, he ran against uh, Scott Howell. And I always appreciate your insights. And let's look at what is unfolding within the Democratic Party right now. We've whittled down to <laughs> one time we had 20 that we had to split debates into two different nights. And where do you see things going? Elizabeth Warren seems to be on a little bit of a, a tick up here, especially compared to former Vice President Joe Biden. What's your take on the lineup? Well, let me preface this by just saying I am a card-carrying Democrat, and I am a Democrat that believes in self-reliance, just self-sustainability, and the dignity of work. And I'm also a capitalist. I believe that our system works best with that combination. One feeds off the other. And I think that our country, and this was evident at the the meeting with the vice president, there was not one person that talked about the impeachment. What people wanted to know at the event was about the climate, jobs, economic growth, and um what, what what's the vision for the country? Mm-hmm. No one even approached uh, about the impeachment. So s- saying this as a Democrat, I do I think that the President uh, Trump committed a impeachable offense? Absolutely. I think that he did. But I, I have to remind everyone, that's a political process. It's not a legal process for impeachment. 
And I just think the Democrats are, are going down the wrong pathway on this. I agree with Ben McAdams. Gather all the facts. Let's find out what really has happened before we rush to judgment on this. Now, with Giuliani and, and calling him in, I, I guess he could do some form of a committee hearing and, and testify about what he did or what did, he didn't know. But, you know, until we get all the facts on this, Doug, I don't think it's the best thing. And, and remember, I am, I am 100 uh, percent. I mean, I was there when Clinton was impeached, and we all thought it was going to be the worst year the following year for election. Right. You know what? Democrats swept Congress, and I went from uh, seven to 11 uh, state senators, if you can believe that. We had 11, four away in our state Senate from the majority. And I just think people, it, it's going to backfire. I really do. Now, do we want to know the facts and the truth? Yes. But I don't think the speed of this is all trying to happen. And the other candidates that are running against Joe, I just think they're too far to the left. I still believe our country is a centrist country. I, I think people are not so much Democrat or Republican. Are they? Will I have a sustainability in my job? And can I have the opportunity to get my kids in college and, and get them through that process? Um, and are we going to have clean air? And what do we do as a country for leadership in the Gulf, the Gulf challenges that we have? Those type of things, I think, really uh, are, are a greater priority for citizens than the impeachment. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's where it is right now. You know, for those who are, are concerned uh, from whatever aspect, concerned that the president is being, you know, uh, treated unfairly, those who are concerned about the path that the president has us on, those that are concerned about uh, how liberal or whatever certain people are. I wish that instead of being in the middle of this impeachment process, I wish we were in the process of really looking for the very best president to, uh, that we could possibly muster in the upcoming election. And I agree with you, Scott. I think at the very best, this is going to be a huge distraction. And at the very worst, it could be something that really damages the process and kind of perpetuates the, the, the disconnect that, that we have in Washington. And it, it troubles me that there is, there is a real opportunity for those who like Mr. Trump. There's a real opportunity to solidify his presidency and have him for another four years. For those who do not like Mr. Trump, there is a real opportunity here to hopefully look for and cultivate a person that you believe is better suited and better able to lead this great country. But we're, we're just bogged down in the impeachment thing right now, and I'm not oh, hearing any Doug, construction, uh, constructive conversation. Well, Doug, that is so well-spoken and so articulate because that describes exactly— can you imagine from now on what the debates will be? Oh, yeah. Well— when are we going to impeach him? What are we going to do? How are we going to impeach him? Uh, and it's not going to be about climate. It's not going to be about jobs. It's not going to be about the future. But this is going to suck all the air of the room. And then let's say it does move forward. We have just now empowered 20 U.S. senators to make a decision about what's going to happen to the future of our country. And that, to me, just sends the wrong message everywhere. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but my friends don't say, well, we ought to impeach you. Uh, they, they, they don't. Uh, what they say is, 
gosh, he did something dumb or he did something wrong. And it, 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 and I think it fits right into Donald, the President Trump's game plan. I think he is enjoying every minute of this. So when when he gets ready to go out and be the reality TV star, he's going to play this one to the fiddle. And everybody is going to go, oh, yeah, that's right. That That's what's going on. You know, there are some people that do. They not only cultivate mayhem, but they really can thrive in it because of the type of, of person that my, my grandpa would have said, that's a, that's kind of animal he is, you know, and not meaning that derogatory. It's just, the, it's, no, it's, it's kind of in the nature. It's in the DNA. It's, it's, you know, part of almost instinct. And I think Donald Trump plays environments like this to his great advantage. Scott, just one quick question. Then we'll, yes, please go ahead. Yes. Oh, well, no, I'll, I'll never forget the day after the election, you called me and asked me what, what my impression was. And I, I don't know if you remember, but I said, you know what? Our country's going to be okay. We're, we're, we've had presidents who've been great, who've not been so great. And I said, if we unite and we pray together that this guy will be enlightened. And, and I still believe that it, it's, it, it, it's not as bad as what people, some people would like us to believe, both on the left and the right. And I, I think for me personally and those that I work with and some of my followers, we want to concentrate on the next election to get what you just said, the very best capable leader that we can and continue to pray for the president and other elected officials that they'll do the right thing. Scott, I always appreciate our conversations. Thank you so much for taking our call and staying up a little late over there. I better let you get back to to whatever it is you're up to over there. And <laughs> and, and I don't well, want you to feel yeah, you have to spend a lot of money on my present, okay? <laughs> you know what? When you went down the Danube and all those other places, I, I didn't hear anybody call. I, I think you forgot you did that invitation to Lost Mountain. But, you know, Doug, it really is great to have you back on the radio. And just final thought, it was my birthday on, on Saturday. And it was so great Joe came out for that. Hey, exactly. That's a joke. Exactly. <laughs> Scott, the, happy. The reality was. Happy reality belated birthday to you. Yeah. Scott, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on on Inside Sources. That's a former state senator Scott Howell, and uh, has been a a real player in uh, the state of Utah in our politics and even in our culture for some time.